Turn with me in your Bibles to Amos chapter 3. Amos chapter 3, we'll be looking at verses 9 through 12. Amos 3, 9 through 12. Let's go ahead and begin in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your grace to us that has been manifested in more ways than we are able to count. Everything from your sustaining grace and our hearts beating at this very moment to the glories of the, the gospel, redemption and justification, and the imputation of Christ's divine righteousness to the sinner's life. All of these things and more we have uh, to praise you with, and we thank you for these things. Thank you for this moment in time, this moment in history. Thank you for this moment that we could be together as a church. I pray that you might help us to learn from Scripture that you would help us to submit to it, that you would help us to yield to it, that you would help us to be encouraged by it, that you would help us to love it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. One of the um, great obsessions of our culture, our modern culture today, is, as all of you know, the obsession with something called diversity. Uh, You can't go anywhere without hearing this word. Uh, In fact, our social media page has this little link on it that I don't think you can see, but the administrator can see that says, add diversity info, and you could click on this if we wanted to add info uh, for diversity, whatever that means. And for all the talk about diversity in the world, and for all of the distortions of it and all the things uh, that the world understands about it, diversity strictly speaking, is a very biblical concept. I believe that I have mentioned before that the Jews used to refer to God as the great discriminator, okay? The one who created the sun that was different from the moon and the sky that is different from the sea, discriminating between things, creating things that are diverse, And a necessary attribute, I don't know that this part would be very popular today, but a necessary attribute of diversity is discrimination. I mean, diversity requires the good sense of discrimination, not the bad sense of it that we talk about sometimes, um, but the good sense of it, okay? So cats are not dogs, and flowers are not trees, and people are not rocks. Some birds are red, but not blue. Some caterpillars are yellow, but not orange. Dogs do not get wings. Trees do not get eyes. And lizards do not get gills. There's diversity and discrimination of a good sort here. And the diversity that God has created and baked into his universe is immense. Okay, we could spend the rest of the time today just listing all of the things that God has created. He has created frogs that both hop and swim, okay? He has created birds that fly, and he's created birds that don't fly. He's created skin that heals itself when it gets cut, and he has created starfish with arms that grow back if they're cut off. He's created seeds that stick to passing deer and to your toddler's trousers to plant the seeds far away. He's made squid and octopus and sharks and eagles and people and grass and sunsets and geckos and flies and a funny bone that gets that odd feeling when you hit it just the right way. The diversity in God's creation. 
God has created a diverse world. And yet, what I would like to kind of point us to is the fact that for all of the world's talk about diversity, it is interesting to me to note that I think in general, the world does not like a diverse God. And here's, let me explain what I mean by that, okay? The world likes a saving God, merciful God, um, but the world does not like the God who has a plethora of attributes that are diverse. God is, what kind of God is our God? He is a saving, rebuking, loving, mercy-showing, disciplining, wrathful, patient, sovereign, condemning, judging, forgiving, holy, unchanging, righteous, angry, eternal God. God is all of these things. And this is one of the reasons why I think the book of Amos is so important to study. It's important to study because it's in God's word and all of God's word is profitable as we understand it. But what are the ways in which Amos is profitable? Well, one of the ways that Amos is profitable is it really goes upstream from our modern 21st century American Christianity version of God. I mean, you, you can't read Amos and walk away thinking of God in the way that he is portrayed in popular culture or in popular Christianity. God is much more, to use this word, diverse than the world makes him out to be. And so, specifically, we are going to be seeing today, as we have been seeing for several weeks in Amos, some of the attributes of God that are less popular. We're going to be confronted specifically today with God's judgment on sin, something that is not uh, every uh, church is eager to preach on or to hear about. And so we find ourselves, giving a little bit of catch up here because it's been a few weeks, we find ourselves today in the third chapter of Amos, specifically, as you may remember, with the crosshairs resting directly on Israel. Amos begun his prophecy with six oracles against the nations, and you could imagine Israel shouting out in hearty agreement, yes, judgment to Damascus. Yes, judgment to Edom. Yes, judgment to Moab. And things took a rather unexpected turn when Amos got to the seventh oracle, which was Judah. And we can imagine that Israel is kind of getting a little bit uncomfortable here because this is written to Israel. And Israel's like, this is getting a little close to comfort, but they can still agree. Yeah, I knew Judah was, was no good. But it was an unexpected turn of the highest degree when we read for the very first time in Amos chapter 2 and verse 6, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. This certainly would have been an unexpected turn for Israel. They were ready to cheer God's judgment on for the nations, but not on themselves. But it gets worse. 
This was not just one of eight judgment oracles, okay? This was by far the longest and most scathing judgment oracle of all of them. It was the longest one. It was not even close to the others. And now that we are past that eighth judgment oracle, the Lord continues to heap accusation on top of accusation on top of accusation. Israel is saying, is this ever going to end? When are you going to stop judging us and condemning us? And today's passage continues in this same vein. It teaches us that the Lord's judgment is nothing to take lightly. There should be a certain kind of sobriety as we open up scripture and recognize that God, yes, is a forgiving God, and God also is a God who's holy and just and righteous and will not sweep sin under the rug. The Puritan, David Clarkson, sees a connection between this passage and the proud Pharisee in Luke 18. You might recall that that Pharisee in the passage was the Pharisee who said, God, thank you so much that I'm not like other men. Thank you, thank you that I'm not like all those other people out there. Luke 18 is the paradigmatic unregenerate man. Okay, It is the standard unregenerate man, your garden variety unregenerate man. Walk up to any unbeliever and ask them if they think they're going to heaven. And nine times out of ten, at least in my experience, they'll say something like this. Well, I'm kind of a decent person, so I think I'll be all right. I'm not Hitler after all. I haven't killed anyone after all. You know what? That's Luke 18. It's exactly Luke 18. God, thank you that I'm not like other men. I'm not that bad. Thank you that I'm not unlike other men. David Clarkson says this. He says, maybe he says it. If you guys can forward that for me. He says, there is a confidence to be found in unregenerate men in their addresses to God. We see too many are confident as to their state that they will be saved. In other words, what he's saying is that unbelievers frequently are overconfident in their standing before God. They are presumptuous. Oh, I'll be fine. It's okay. I haven't done anything that bad. Don't worry about it. You see the difference then between the believer and the unbeliever? If you ask the unbeliever, do you think you'll get in? Do you think you'll make it, quote unquote? They reply with, yeah, yeah, I think so. I haven't killed anyone. I'm not Hitler. I think I'll be fine. But if you ask a believer, do you think you'll get in, quote unquote, you get a very different answer. You get an answer like this. If it were up to me, not a chance. Because I am the worst sinner. But thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. Yes, I believe I'm going to heaven, but it is entirely a work of God. See the difference in where the confidence is? One is in self and one is in Christ. One is reminded of the wisdom of 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12 that says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. This will be a helpful verse, I think, as we look at uh, the passage in front of us. Let's read Amos 3, verses 9 through 12. Amos 3, 9 through 12. Proclaim to the strongholds in Ashdod, And to the strongholds in the land of Egypt, and say, 
Assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria and see the great tumults within her and the oppressed in her midst. They do not know how to do right, declares the Lord, those who store up violence and robbery in their strongholds. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, an adversary shall surround the land and bring down your defenses from you and your strongholds shall be plundered. Thus says the Lord, as the shepherd rescues from the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued with the corner of a couch and part of a bed. We're going to look at this in two sections today. Verses 9 through 10 is going to be what we will call a just proclamation. And in verses 11 through 12, we will see a just judgment. Notice here as we look at verse 9, that the Lord calls two nations to witness Israel's treachery. He calls for Ashdod and for Egypt. He says in verse 9, proclaim to the strongholds of Ashdod and to the strongholds in the land of Egypt and say, assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria and see the great tumults within her and the oppressed in her midst. I want to make the observation here as we begin in this passage that this invitation from the Lord to these pagan nations is a rather scathing indictment. And it cannot be overlooked. There is a complete and total reversal of roles, okay? Israel, as God's people, ought to be instructing the nations in righteousness, invites these pagan nations to look at Israel because they can learn a thing or two from Israel about how to sin better. You you think that you're bad, Ashdod, Egypt? You you think that, come look at Israel. Come, Come look at what they're doing. Keep in mind that Ashdod and Egypt were not invited because of their righteousness, but because of their wickedness, okay? The Lord is not inviting these righteous nations to say, oh, that's not good. He's inviting wicked nations to say, even they say it's bad. (laughs) Even they think by their standards that what you're doing is wrong. This would be similar to inviting Uh, the Taliban to judge America. Come on, Taliban, come look at America and see what they're doing. One commentator uh, says that this is like inviting Hitler to see America's abortion clinics. Come look at this. Whoa, you're doing that? It's an indictment at the seriousness of what is going on in Israel. And the implication should be readily apparent. If Ashdod and Egypt can find something to condemn in Israel, how much more can God? If you can invite unregenerate pagan nation and they could come up with a list of things to see that's wrong in Israel, how much more can God come up with a list of things that is going on here? Okay? Their sin in Israel has reached critical mass. Okay? One is certainly reminded of 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1, where we read, it is actually reported, it's, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. Do we even have to say this? And this is similar to what's going on in Israel. 
It is actually reported that there is oppression and injustice among you and of a kind that is not even tolerated among Ashdod and Egypt. (laughs) They don't even tolerate this. And the lesson for us is to take heed lest we fall. Okay? Let it never be said of us, Crossview Church tolerates the kind of sin that not even so-and-so tolerates. Israel tolerated the kinds of sins that not even surrounding nations would. This is why the nations are invited to assemble themselves on the mountains of Samaria to see what? We'll look at verse 9. The great tumults and the oppressed. Okay? The tumults, chaos. Okay? There's, there's chaos and disorder. Israel is oppressing people. But it gets worse because look at verse 10. It says, they do not know how to do right, declares the Lord. Those who store up violence and robbery in their strongholds. Now keep in mind that Israel has God's word and the surrounding nations do not. This is an indictment in itself. Okay? You have God's word and they don't and they're acting better than you without God's word. They have not even stooped to Israel's level. Israel is said here not to even know to do right. Now, I want to make one technical remark here, and that is if you have an ESV in front of you, uh, and actually many translations, you will have this word how in verse 10, which is not in the Hebrew. It says uh, in, in, in the ESV, they do not know how to do right. Um, the Hebrew simply says they do not know how, or they do not know to do right. Um, I, I do think it is a little bit unfortunate that the ESV put this word in there because I think that it could be slightly misleading. This might imply that Israel is like, we just want to do right. I just, I, I really want to do the right thing. I just don't know how to do it. Okay. That's, that's misleading because that's not really the position they were in. Israel did not know to do right. They had lost the ability to discern the difference between right and wrong at all. Okay? It's not just that Israel desperately, or it's not that they desperately wanted to do good, but they just couldn't. They didn't know how. Um, It's more sinister than that. Their consciences have been so seared that they couldn't pass a morality 101 course. Okay? Okay, it's like when you go to the eye doctor. Okay, you know when you go to the eye doctor and they put that giant thing on your face with all the lenses and they say, okay, I want you to tell me, is one better or is two better? You know that? You know how sometimes when you're doing that test, you're like, give it to me again. Okay, wait, give it to me again. Okay, wait, wait, uh, hold on. I got to get this right because if I don't get this right, you know, my glasses are going to be wonky. Okay, so... One, two, okay? It's like Israel is given this kind of a test, and it's like, okay, we're going to give you a test. Which one is better, number one or number two? Killing the poor or feeding the poor, number one, number two. Uh, Let me see that again. Okay, killing, feeding. Uh, Hold on, one more time. Number one, number two. Number one, number two. Killing the poor or feeding the poor. Uh, they're so close. I just, I don't know. <laughs> this is what Israel's doing, okay? They, they don't know to do right. There, there's, there's no compass anymore. It's, it's, 
it, it, it makes no sense to them. And so they're, they're trying to figure out what, what they need to go back simply to the ABCs. But instead of doing that, they are storing up violence and robbery, it says, in their strongholds. Okay? I know some missionaries in third world countries uh, don't have access to grocery stores, you know, like, like you and I do. And so we sometimes have um, become a little bit lazy, okay? You make like four trips to the grocery store in one day because you can, <laughs> because it's right there. And you, you, you may go to the grocery store and your list is kind of chaotic because if I mess it up, I'll just come back later kind of a thing, okay? It's two minutes to get there. There's some missionaries in third world countries that they have to really think about this because they order groceries once every six months, okay? And so they have to think about this and they have... Uh, huge pantries and storehouses, and they store and they stock all their food. They have to keep close track on the expiration dates and all this kind of stuff uh, because of this. Or you might think of someone who's homesteading on the frontier in 19th century America, and in order to survive the winter, they have got to have this storehouse, this pantry. They've got to have all this stuff stored up so that they can live through the winter, okay? And so... The Lord is comparing, using this illustration to talk about what Israel is doing, and he's saying that they are storing up, as if, as if you had a pantry of things, they're, what are they putting on their shelves? Violence, robbery, murder, oppression, they're like storing up all of these things. What do you use the, the, the pantry for? What do you stock up goods for? to be a blessing to people, right? To help people survive, to help a neighbor in need, okay? So your pantry or your storage shelf or your root cellar, if anyone has those anymore, is stocked with things that are good, things that are helpful, things that are a blessing to your family and your neighbors and your church and your community. But Israel instead takes their root cellar and they stock it with poisons, this poison and that poison and this poison, you store up, you stock up, you prep violence and robbery in your strongholds. These are serious sins. I mean, imagine this sermon preached in churches across America. You know, good morning, everyone. I'd, I'd like to introduce to you our speaker today. His name is Amos. Um, sorry, he's the only one we could find. He's, in, he's, a, he's a shepherd kind of a little bit dirty and smelly and a bit of a Neanderthal, but it's all we got here. So here's Amos for you. And Amos um, gets up and he begins to preach. And of course, he's not doing it in any kind of an eloquent tongue at all. And, and he says, hey, we've invited Planned Parenthood here today to condemn you for your sin because you don't even know how to do right. And they think you're doing wrong. Ah, <laughs> Does that sting? Okay, I'm trying to give you the context of what's going on here. This stings, okay? Everyone's looking at each other, shuffling uncomfortably in their seats, saying, when is Amos done with his message, okay? Because this is not good, okay? If Amos would have consulted with his PR team, he would have learned that he should have used different words, right? He should have used words like breakthrough, new beginnings, a word from the Lord, your blessing is right around the corner, or this is your year of prosperity, 
or have positive thoughts. Obviously, Amos missed his calling in life. Stick to shepherding, someone yells from the back row, right? Get out of here. Permit me to wander for just a minute uh, on something. You don't have a choice, but permit me to wander for a minute anyways, okay? Can we acknowledge the wisdom of God in appointing a shepherd to this task? I, I love, I love, I love the simplicity and the humility of a simple shepherd preaching the word. God just says, Amos, I know you're a shepherd, but I have a, a message for you to deliver to these people. And, and, and Amos is, you know, probably still in his shepherd's attire and, and he comes from the field and, and he just simply gives the word. It reminds us of 1 Corinthians 1, right? 27 through 29. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. You see that we're seeing that right now in Amos. We're, we're seeing that unfold before our very eyes. God chose Amos. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring nothing to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. You see that this is God's normal mode of operation. You think of David, and David is getting this armor on to fight Goliath, and, and, and he's getting all this stuff on. And, oh, this doesn't seem to fit right, and I, I haven't tried this yet, and this is, I don't know, forget it, okay? Just forget it. I'm just going to trust God and go do this, okay? The simplicity here. Amos is uh, getting into the pulpit and, you know, his PR team hands him a piece of paper as he gets into the pulpit and he's looking at this and, and he's reading it and uh, he's saying, uh, let's see, I can't say that. Um, don't talk about judgment. Use these words. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I'm just going to preach the word. <laughs> he just gets into the pulpit and preaches. You may remember when uh, Micaiah the prophet Remember this? He's, he's asked to come and prophesy before King Ahab. And you remember that the messenger that brings him to Ahab, you remember what the messenger says? He says, all the other prophets have spoken favorably to the king. Make your word be the same. Do you remember what he says? This needs to be um, framed, okay, in our houses, Okay. He says, as the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I'll speak. Let me, let me see what God says. <laughs> I'm not going to change this. You, you, you say, what is up with God speaking through shepherds and nomads and fishermen and farmers? When does he ever give the church growth experts a chance? When does he give the church planting conference speakers a shot? What about the vision casters? Why use these nobodies? Why, why does God constantly over and over and over and over and over again use these low, despised, smelling people who just, you know why? Because they just deliver the mail. That's, that's what God wants in a messenger is just take the message and give it to the people. Just deliver it. 
Don't tamper with it. Don't, don't peruse through it and cross stuff out. Just deliver the message that I have. The church growth experts are over there rummaging through the mail with a red pen saying, cross that off. No, that's too harsh. No, reword that. No, that's good, but change the ending. Da, 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 da. The farmers just pick up the letter and they say, oh, God just says this. That's what God wants in a messenger. That is what God wants in preaching. That is what God wants in your evangelism. That is what God wants in your discipleship. And it's how God wants you to interact with your wife and your children and your neighbors. It is just to give them the word. Being a Christian is hard, okay? But it's not complicated. Those are two different things, okay? It, it's hard to get up and, and, and teach something that's contrary to the culture, okay? It is. not very complicated. Okay? Just pick this up. And this is what it says. I'm going to read this to you. Um, So God says you should stop sinning. Okay. Anything? Any questions? (laughs) There's a simplicity to this. Okay? All you have to do is deliver the mail. When God says, I'm going to bless you, you deliver that. And when God says, I'm going to judge you, you deliver that. And it is because of this conviction that Amos has, it is because of this conviction and this commitment to speak God's word that Amos now If it was bad enough already, he goes straight for the jugular, okay? It's going to get worse, okay, before it gets better, okay? Because Amos has just been listing out their sins. Now it's judgment time. Now it's time. If you thought it was hard before, now it gets really hard. The hard truth. Someone has said one time, and I think this is essential to understand, and that is this soft preaching makes hard hearts and hard preaching makes soft hearts. Okay, it's not original with me. We need to hear the word as it is. Simple as that. And so because of that, Amos now, having given this proclamation, this indictment against their sin, now gets to judgment in verse 11. Therefore, because of everything that's happened before, therefore, because of all of these things that we've talked about, thus says the Lord God, an adversary shall surround the land and bring down. But if it wasn't that date, it was super close to that date. Okay, 762. So you have prophecy given, 40 years later, prophecy fulfilled. Okay? This means that there would have been people alive at the fall to Assyria who heard Amos speak this prophecy. There were people who heard that and were alive during the the fall of Israel. And Assyria did, according to verse 11, surround the land, bring down their defenses, and plunder their strongholds. Even their strongholds were not enough. 
all their preps and their storage and their strongholds, everything was plundered. Everything was taken. The destruction was thorough. Notice verse 12. Thus says the Lord, as a shepherd rescues from the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued with the corner of a couch and part of a bed. Ah. Now to understand this verse, you need to understand a little bit of Israelite history. Okay, and according to the law that God had given to Israel, if you borrowed an animal from your neighbor to work your field or whatever it was for, you were responsible for that animal. Okay? If you did anything, if you stole the animal or if you did anything to damage, you were responsible to compensate your neighbor for the animal. That's fair, that's just, okay? But there was a condition that you were not responsible for, and that was if a wild animal came in and tore that animal to pieces, okay? If you borrow your neighbor's animal and a wild animal comes, tears it to pieces, you are not, you're off the hook. You do not have to replace uh, you don't have to foot the bill to replace that animal because it wasn't your fault, okay? That animal could have been attacked in your pen or in your neighbor's pen or anywhere, and it's just modern insurance companies. What do they call these things? An act of God, okay? The tree falls from a lightning storm on the car. It was nobody's fault. Um, you, in your insurance company, you can pay for that, okay? Um, but you individually are not liable for that. And now here was the way that an Israelite had to prove that. If, if an animal came in, a wild animal comes in and tears apart this borrowed animal, do you know what you had to do? You had to salvage what you could. There's an ear lane over there, okay? There's a tuft of fur over here. And you kind of gather everything and you show that to your neighbor and now you are off the hook, okay? And so, in verse 12, the meaning is, is this, that this is the sense in which Israel will be rescued. In the same way that a shepherd rescues a piece of an ear of an animal, that's the same way that Israel is going to be rescued. Assyria is coming, and they're going to destroy you, destroy you. And, oh, you want to talk about being rescued? Yeah, in the same way that we find a piece of an ear left over, that's the same way that you're going to be rescued from this upcoming disaster. Uh, and in case anyone here needs this stated plainly without the metaphor, here's what it means. Israel's going to be destroyed. Okay, plain and simple. This is admittedly a rather grotesque image. This is... This is not why I came to church this morning. <laughs> and this is a rather surprising message, not just to Israel in 762 BC, but to the church here today. Do we need, do we really, okay, here's the question. Do we really need to hear this? And the answer is absolutely. I remember, um, few years ago, I was uh, getting my vehicle worked on 
uh, for an issue that it was having. And I took it to the mechanic. And I was talking, I don't remember what his role was in the company, but he wasn't the, the top guy. And I was talking to um, someone there about the problem. And he was saying, well, you know, it could be one of, I don't know, four different things or whatever. We're, we're going to check it for these different things. And he said, let's just hope that it's not this one problem. And here, we call this problem Black Death. <laughs> okay, I think it was Black Death, something like that, okay. And basically, the problem it was the air conditioner and little metal filings and chunks um, circulate through the whole AC system in your vehicle. And if that happens, then the whole thing needs to be replaced, not just the compressor or whatever, the condenser, I don't know, but the whole thing, and he says, and they call it a black death, and he's like, if you, if you have black death, I mean, it's just, it's done for, it's over with. So uh, a little bit later, I got to talk to the supervisor, the head guy, and I, I said, you know, what's the prognosis? Is it black death, you know? And he says, um, he's like, oh, where, where'd you hear that from? And I'm like, well, this guy was telling me, he's like, He's like, I hate, he's like, I don't, they should not talk to the customer and use those kinds of words, you know. This gives the wrong impression, and this, and da, 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 da. And it, it's, you know, it's, this is what it is. And, uh. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had my choice, if I got to talk to one of those two guys, okay, I want to talk to the guy working on my vehicle, not to the service manager, you know where I'm going with it? You know why? Why I want to do this? Because the manager is the one who's more likely to kind of, to, 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 the, the, the people slap the paper on his desk, this is what it is, and he's like, oh, how am I going to explain this to him? Well, I could tell him this, and uh, we can work it this way. But the guy that's working on my car, he's the one who is going to say, yeah, you know, uh, when we fix this part, it always goes bad within a year. <laughs> or this part, $400 cheaper if you get it from Napa. Um, not OEM, but you know what? It always lasts longer than the OEM part. <laughs> I want to hear that, okay? I don't want to hear the guy who's had time to neaten it all up and deliver it to me in a way that's... He th I, I, I just want to hear it in the raw. I, I just want to hear it what it is so that I can make the most informed decision. Anybody? No? Okay. <laughs> Maybe that, uh, that's how I... Uh, don't filter it. Don't dress it up. Just give it to me like it is. And that is exactly what you're getting in Amos. You're getting a sermon from a shepherd. Okay? This has not gone, this has not gone through management in the PR team. Okay? He's just the word comes from God, and he gives it to you as it is. You're getting the message from God in the raw, just as God intended it, no post-processing, okay? No filters, no nothing. And that is why this is so valuable. It's from God. It's not dressed up. It's not reworked by the PR guy. It's not spun in a different direction. It's just good old-fashioned condemnation and judgment. <laughs> right? And so I, the, what's the lesson? Repent. 
repent or face the hot wrath of God. That's not going to sweep anything under the rug. Who do you think he is? Your grandfather? In his rocking chair? <laughs> Saying, we won't tell your parents about that one. No. He's God. And he's holy. And he's just. And everything he does, he executes flawlessly with complete and perfect righteousness, with complete and perfect holiness, and with complete and perfect justice. You cannot pull a fast one on him. Now what I want to do here is I also want to fast forward to the end of Amos, okay? Because just like I said at the beginning, we believe in a, uh, better be careful how I say this, in the good sense of the word, a diverse God. He's holy and just and righteous and wrathful and angry and patient and forgiving and all this stuff. Just like I said at the beginning, I want, I want to help us to see that part of God, okay? And so this is not in our text for today, but we're going to fast forward to the end of Amos because we want the whole picture today, okay? And that is Amos 9.11 says, In that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. And here is the tension that I want to maintain here. In Amos 3.12, you have the Lord destroying Israel so that there is a piece of an ear left over. And in Amos 9.11, you have the Lord restoring and healing Israel. Both of those are true about God. And neither one should be said to the exclusion of the other. Because God is just and God is forgiving. Both. Now the question is, how is that tension resolved? Okay? How do you take, how, how is this in the same book? The book of Amos, I'm going to destroy you so that there's not even a piece of an ear. I'm going to forgive and restore and repair your breaches that have been. What? If you look all throughout redemptive history, can you point to any event in redemptive history that took justice and mercy and brought them together so that there was no contradiction in terms? Okay, this is so easy. This is the classic Sunday school answer. When you don't know what to say in Sunday school, you say what? Jesus, okay? Jesus brings these together, okay? Because at the cross, and you know this, we've reviewed this, but I'm going to say it again and again and again, okay? At the cross, justice and mercy meet. How? Because God poured out his wrath and justice on sin. It's just that he did it on Christ instead of on you. That's very different from the, the perception of God as the, the grandfather who sweeps the sin under the rug, okay? You know, I know, Johnny, that your mother said you could only have one fudgesicle when you're over here, but 
have the whole box. Just don't tell her I let you do it, okay? <laughs> okay. God is a strict accountant, okay? Strict accountant. And he is going to tally everything. He's tallying it, though, on Christ and not on you and me. That's how justice is satisfying, okay? And then he can give forgiveness. How can Amos have these two seemingly contradictory realities? Because of the cross. Because of Christ. This tells us that God is both holy and he is merciful. My appeal to you as a pastor is that you would be a recipient of the mercy portion and not of the judgment portion. How can you be a recipient of the mercy portion? Through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. And just like there is a seriousness and a sober reality of judgment in this text, there is a serious and sober reality of judgment in hell for all of eternity because God is a holy God. Okay? And by the way, no amount of good will, on your part will undo that. Okay? You come into this world default position as a sinner, destined for hell. Your efforts are not sufficient to overcome that. It's Christ alone. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Hide yourself in Christ and God will forgive you and be merciful to you and raise you up on the last day to be with him forever. Remember 1 Corinthians 10, 12. We started off with this verse. We'll conclude with it. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Be careful. Our three points of application. Point number one is to cultivate order over chaos, justice over oppression, and truth over ignorance. This comes straight from the text because Israel was being judged for their tumults, their chaotic, sinful nature. They were being judged for their oppression, therefore we need justice. And they were being judged for not knowing how to do right, and therefore we need truth. We need all of these things. The next point of application is to fear God's judgment. There needs to be a serious fear of the Lord's judgment. A healthy fear of this. Now, the corollary to that is the final application, and that's take refuge in Christ. Repent and believe in Christ. If you're here and you're not a believer in Christ, repent and believe in Christ. Okay? Now, we could add an application onto this that would kind of correspond with our 9 a.m. series on the assurance of faith. Okay? My assurance of my salvation. And that is, if you have taken refuge in Christ, then, how do I want to say this? Inform your face about it. Be joyful. Okay? Right? Do we not have every reason in the world to be joyful as Christians? Because of what we have in Christ. And so have joy. Because I am secure that he is, Jesus is holding me in his hand, and then God is holding me in Jesus' hand, so that I am eternally secure in Christ, and I can have joy because of what he's done for me. Thank you, God, so much for your grace to us. Thank you for this passage that 
comes from a simple shepherd. Thank you for the simplicity of it and yet the seriousness of it. Help us to know you. If there's any who's not repented and believed in Christ, I pray that you'd help them to do that, to find the joy of knowing Christ, the joy of being in Christ, the joy of being a believer. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.